Romans 11:19. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Let's pray. Lord, um, we need you to manifest your presence today in the preaching of your word. I pray for myself, Lord. Help me to concentrate. Help me to uh, be led by your spirit as that as that sail is in the wind. And God, I pray for your people that you would prepare their hearts, till up the soil of our hearts, Lord, that we would receive your word, God, and that it would bear fruit for your glory and our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's nice to be together under one service, isn't it? Now, in the next couple of weeks, you may be tempted. Well, you know, it's a little crowded. It might be a little hot in there, so I'm thinking I'm going to sit at home. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, come together. Let's gather together. And you might need to squeeze together later. We still have uh, front row seats here. But, um, you know, thank you for listening to the, uh, the greeters as they said, hey, kind of sit together because we have enough room. It's been really great. Well, today's section of Scripture was challenging, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit led me in this because it's really dealing with spiritual pride, spiritual pride of the Gentiles towards the Jews. And what happened is, is that it's so easy, I think, to fall into spiritual pride. You know, sometimes we don't see it. We can fall into spiritual pride with our doctrine. I'm right and everybody else is wrong, and, uh, you know, we can look down on people. We can fall into spiritual pride as we judge other people's prayer, they shouldn't have prayed it like that. It should be Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We sang Father, Spirit, Son. <gasps> you know, we can fall into those types of things and think they're wrong. Uh, convictions. You know, you can, a good Christian will never do fill in the blank. And they did this, so they're not what? Not a good Christian, whatever that means. We can judge other people. We can have this spiritual pride, even in our actions. They did that. I remember clearly uh, years ago when, we, when I first got here, we had a video game system set up downstairs, and there were some people that actually left the church because they said that is not godly to play video games. But they judged people because, okay, this is what it is. And it was Mario Kart, okay? It wasn't, you know, Halo or anything like that. It's a Mar Mario Kart. And so, but, you know, again, it's, we can jump, we can fall into that spiritual pride and judge others real quick based on our standard. And then we look down upon them because they're not measuring up to what our standard should be. And it happens all the time, all the time. And we have to protect against it. I have to protect against it. And what we see is that uh, Paul is telling us to protect against it because he's talking about, about pride in this section of Scripture. Three times he is talking about 
pride or arrogance uh, towards the Gentiles because what happened is that the Gentiles actually were in this new place of favor or privilege with God. And God had done something. We're going to learn what that was. And they were kind of prideful now. And they were rejecting their Jewish brothers. Or they were rejecting, I'm sorry, the Jews, saying, you know, we got it right, you got it wrong. And so they were, were separating them out. They were rejecting the Jews, as society was at this time. But if you remember last week, we were talking about how amazing grace really is, if we really understand grace. And I would say this, the main point of today's message is this, that a proper understanding of grace, really understanding what grace is, produces humility, not arrogance. If you really get grace, you'll be a humble person. You won't have this spiritual pride. Let's take a look at God's word. We're going to start back at verse 16. And we're going to move on. We've got a lot of scripture to cover today. Romans eleven sixteen through 21. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So we, now we know this next section coming up. And I wanted to put who was being referenced here in each case. Look at this. But if some of the branches were broken off, those were the, talking about Israel as nation, and you, the Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, towards the Jews. Don't be prideful, spiritually prideful. If you are, if you are remember it is not you, the Gentiles, who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I, the Gentiles, might be grafted in. That is true. They, the Jews, were broken off because, their, because of their unbelief. They believed it was salvation by works. Follow the law. But you, the Gentiles, you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, second time in this section, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. What is all that stuff talking about? We know the story of, you know, we're grafted in, and we've heard this before, but do you, you have to read it in context to understand what is really going on. First of all, it's talking about uh, the dough offered as first fruits. What's that about? We find that in Numbers chapter 15, and what it was talking about was when you had your harvest, your first harvest out of, uh, of the year, you would make, uh, out of the wheat in particular, you'd make a, a, a lump of dough, and you would offer part of that as the first fruits. It was given to God to acknowledge that God is the one who provided, that God is the one who is worthy. It was like, if we could use that term, like a tithe almost, acknowledging everything is God's. But more than that, it was also making a statement that, you know what, we trusted you for this, and we're trusting you for all the future. You're going to honor your word. You're going to fulfill not only this harvest, but the harvest to come. And so when we look at that, we realize that that's what he's talking about, that there's an assurance that God was going to provide a greater and future harvest. And the word holy here, it's interesting because we automatically think holy is talking about individually. That means, you know, we're talking about our own personal inward holiness. But really what it's talking about here is they are holy. It means set apart to God. So God chose the nation of Israel. He set it apart for himself. And then he's talking about also this, this branch. What is this, what's that all about? What we see is that when you look in the Old Testament, the olive tree is an illustration of the nation of Israel. 
That's what it's talking about, the nation of Israel. And what we find is that that olive tree represents this. It represents the privilege, the blessing, the favor, undeserved favor that God gave to the nation of Israel that he bestows on his people. That's what this olive tree represents. It's not just something random. There's a purpose behind that particular picture. And what we see is this, is that the... The point of the illustration, what it, what, why is he talking branches broken off, grafted in? What's the point? Why, why, would, they, why would this all happen? We would think in our, in our Western mindset that it's really about replacement. These go, these come in. But it's not really what it's talking about. It's talking about opportunity. Talking about the fact that God, this 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 olive tree represented God's favor, God's privilege towards that group of people. And what we see is if something's cut off, and if that's what the tree represents, what does that mean then? It means that they lose that place of favor and privilege. That's what it means. Not that you lose salvation. See, that's where we get mixed up. We come in here and we look at this and we say, well, look at this branch was part of the tree and it was cut off. And then later on in this chapter, it says, well, they're grafted back in. So what that means is that the branches represent individuals and they can be broken off. In other words, they can be saved and then they can lose their salvation and then they can be grafted back in and then they're back with God. That's not the context that is here and that's not the meaning at all. It's not even close. But people will use that to argue. And it doesn't make any sense at all. Because that's not what is being talked about here. The branches represent ethnic Israel and the Gentiles. It's consistent in this whole chapter. And to take it any other way is misreading scripture. It's not about individuals. It's about groups of people. And what it's saying is this, and remember, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know how this is consistent in Romans chapter 10 and 11, is the fact that Israel's disobedience, their rejection of Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their Messiah, their disobedience was, was the reason that God turned to the Gentiles. And what he did was he decided he made it a people up for himself from the Gentiles. They rejected Christ. God went to the Gentiles, and he's doing a work for himself, raising up a people for himself, a special people. The elect, remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And that's what's happening, is that the Jews were removed. That's what it says here, that uh, don't be arrogant for the branches. And it's... Uh, you will say the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. The branches were broken off. That favor that God had towards the nation of Israel, now he's putting it towards the Gentiles because Israel had rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. And God was making a people for himself. As the branches were broken off, Israel, due to their unbelief, wanting to be made right with God by their works, by the... Uh, following the law and thought that that made them righteous with God. They were broken off because that's not what it's about. And then the Gentiles were grafted in. Why? Because there was a huge movement by God's Spirit among the Gentiles. They were receiving the gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And they were grafted in. That favor, that privilege, that as the gospel would go forth to the Gentiles, that God was drawing, he was making a people for himself, a spiritual people. 
And that's the picture that we see here. In this new position of favor, of privilege, please listen. It makes salvation possible, but it does not save being in this branch. That's not what it's talking about. It means that God had favor on the nation of Israel. She rejected the Messiah. And God made a people for himself among the Gentiles. And it was a huge movement even to this day of Gentiles, people like us who are not Jews by, by uh, ethnicity. And what happens is, is God made a people for himself. And we go back to chapter 9 and election and God was calling people. And that's the picture that we see here. We have to understand the, 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 the context of this section of Scripture that God was making a people for himself. And you can see there's a, just a little flash here of the pride that Paul is dealing with. Because remember what the Jews used to do with regards to the Gentiles? They wanted nothing to do with them. They would walk around cities, walk extra miles, just not to have to go through a city because they had rejected the Gentiles. And now what's happening is God's favor is upon the Gentiles as he's making a people for himself. And they're doing the same thing that the Jewish people were doing. They're starting to reject those who didn't line up, didn't, didn't, they weren't following God's way the way they should, and which was accurate, but they were rejecting them. It's really sad. And what we find is that they had really no reason to do that. There was a, there's a little picture in here that we, again, in the West, we don't get this. But something was very unnatural that happened in this example. It states it later, I think it's in verse 25, but something very unnatural is happening here. Because he's talking about what? There's this, this natural tree, and the natural branches are broken off, and these wild branches are grafted in. That's not how you do it in horticulture. I didn't know this. What you normally do is you take the wild branch, the wild tree, which is usually stronger, and you take the natural branches of some other tree and put it into the wild stock because it's stronger. And the natural would be more weak in that sense. He's doing the exact opposite here. He's he, he is comparing the exact opposite. He's flipping it. He's saying, listen, that's not how it's done. And the point of this comparison here is that it is contrary to nature. That's the point. That the, Jew, that the Gentiles grafted into uh, God's favor and privilege. That was unnatural. God didn't make those promises to them. It's this flip. And he's saying, you know what? This, you guys got nothing to brag about because this is not how it normally is. It should have been the other way around, and it's not. And you've been grafted into this favor. The promises of the covenant that God made to Israel. This is backwards here for a purpose. To show that you ain't all it, Gentiles. You're not all it. He's saying, be careful. Don't walk in pride. This is contrary to nature because the Gentiles were grafted in unnaturally. Backwards from what was known. And you know how they were grafted in? By faith. By grace. That's how they were grafted in. Because of their faith is what it says. They were grafted in because God 
had in his grace and in his mercy opened up the gospel to them and they realized it wasn't by works that you're going to be saved, which the Jews believed. And he said, no, it's by faith. And because they embraced the truth of the gospel by God's grace, they were grafted in, they were given favor, and the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles. That's what we see here. That's the picture that we see here. They were grafted in unnaturally, backwards. And then they did this. They inherited promises that weren't theirs. They inherited, because of God's grace and God's mercy, the promises he made to Israel, the Abrahamic covenant. They received those blessings, but they weren't, that was not part of the original uh, covenant. It was with Abraham. And he's saying, take a look at this. It's different. Again, Romans 11, moving on, 18. Do not be arrogant towards the branches, the Jews. If you, the Gentiles, are, remember that it is not you, the Gentiles, who support the root. Talking about these promises that God made to Israel. But the root supports you, Gentiles. For if if you, Gentiles, were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature saying it right there, contrary to nature. This is not how it normally happens. So you know this example I'm giving is not what you would normally do. So you got to think this through, Gentiles, which is contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree. The roots are in Christ. Take a look at John 4, 22 through 23. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This is what we see happening in Romans chapter 11. He's saying salvation came through the Jews. God made a promise to Abraham. God had his covenant promise to Abraham. He said, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So he was going to take the the gospel through the nation of Israel. He sent the Messiah through through Israel in Jesus. Salvation was from the Jews in that sense. And then they were to take that as a calling all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant to take that gospel to the world, and they rejected Jesus as Messiah. And so what God said is, I'll have a people. I'll have a people. And this was God's plan all along. It's not like he was reacting to what was happening. And so we see that it was God's promises to Israel. And now here are these Gentiles. Not only are you grafted in unnaturally, but these promises that were never made to you are now available to you. They were made to Israel through the Abrahamic covenant that you receive the blessings of this. So there's nothing for you to brag about, Gentiles. There's nothing for you to brag about because you were unnaturally grafted in and you received what you did not, was not promised to you. It was promised to, at that point, the nation of Israel. So what occurs? Well, the point of this sermon is, is that A proper understanding of God's grace produces humility, not arrogance. You see, the Holy Spirit through Paul was saying to these Gentiles, listen, you guys, there's something that's happening. 
we would say, an anti-Semitic attitude among you. And you're rejecting the Jews and saying you're better than them. So you're, you're doing the exact same thing that the Jews had done to you for centuries. You're doing the exact same thing. What you need to understand, Gentiles, is grace. You've got to understand this whole thing. You've got to understand what grace is all about. And that's why we find in the first 11 verses or 13 verses, he's talking about the amazing grace of God. Now he's coming in here and he's saying, guys, this is all about grace. This isn't about you being better than the Jews. The branches, one branch was bad because it wasn't as, as good as the other, so we snapped it out. It was about God's work in the world is really what it's about. And he's saying, you know what? If you really get this grace stuff, you won't walk in pride you walk in humility. And that's our lesson. We walk in humility. We need to guard against spiritual pride because it, is, it sneaks in so easily, so quickly, so quietly. And it produces this fruit in our lives and in the body of Christ causes division. How do we guard against spiritual pride? We start by remembering that we were grafted in by God's grace. It's about God's kindness and goodness and grace towards us. And that we're not all these spiritual heavyweights. It's about God's grace opening up our eyes. It's about him, not us. It's about God doing a work in a rebellious people, a rebellious heart like mine and yours. And, but, and then we, we see that in order to resist this spiritual pride, we need to humbly, really truly believe this. We say it a lot, but I'm not so sure we really believe it in our hearts. You know, if it wasn't for gra- the grace of God, who knows what I would really do? How can I judge that person when, you know what, I don't know where I'd be without God's grace. I was watching a TV show recently. I won't say which one it is. And this, this person was, well, I can say. <laughs> Breaking Bad. All right. Lisa and I have been watching. There's this part where Walt is looking for Jesse, and he goes into this drug house. And it, it does a wonderful portrayal of drug addiction to the extreme. And right away, in my mind, it flashed, I would never do that. That would never, I would never do that. And, I've, and it just looked like that, you know, that little pride happened in there. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, really, Dan? Are you so sure? And I went, you know, do I really believe that God's grace is what draws me to himself, what enables me to walk in holiness, what gives me a desire to honor him? Or do I think it's about me? And so we can, we, can, we can hide in the spiritual pride by thinking, I would never do that. Really? I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about Nebuchadnezzar. You think Nebuchadnezzar ever thought he would be crawling around on all fours, barking like a dog or whatever he was doing? No, he'd never do that. I'm the king. I'm the top dog in the world. That'll never happen. So in order to not walk in spiritual pride, we need to be careful. We need to truly believe that it is by grace we have been saved, and it is by grace that we are maintained, we, are, we, we continue to persevere. It is by God's grace. Because who knows where we would be without God's grace? So if we truly believe that, how can we judge others? 
How can we exalt ourselves above them? We can't. We can't. We need to humbly believe that. Take a look. We continue on in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. In James 4, 6, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, continue in the kindness of God. What does that mean? What does that mean, continue in the kindness of God? What it means is that we realize that we were saved from the severity of God. What's that? God's righteous judgment on those who were, are lost, who have chosen to reject the gospel, and that there is a, a, a penalty for that, a punishment for that, that the wrath of God would be poured out upon those who would reject the gospel so that their sins would be paid for. We see the gospel here, the beauty of the gospel. We see where we were destined, that we were separated from God because of our sin. That's what we were. And we rightly deserved God's judgment. That's where we were at, the severity of God. And yet in God's kindness, he sent Christ, that Christ would come and the requirements that God had for righteousness, Jesus would fulfill 100%. Never sin in thought, word, or deed. And then Christ would go to the cross. Why? Because of the severity of God. Christ would go to the cross and be punished for the sins of all believers because God is righteous. And God's righteousness demands that he punishes sin, the severity of God. And Christ would go to the cross and die for the sins of all believers. God would then, at that time when we were called by God, to receive that gift of salvation, what would happen then is that our sins were considered as if they were Christ and he was punished for them, the severity of God, and Christ's righteousness would be considered as if it were our righteousness, the kindness of God. Severity and kindness. And what he's showing is that, you know, continue in the kindness of God. Persevere in your faith by God's grace and strength. Persevere and remember. Continually depend upon Christ. Remember, remember. So many times in Romans I've said, he's calling us to look back and to look forward. And he's saying, look back. You want to walk in humility? Look back. Remember what you were saved from. Remember what you were for some of us that were older when by God's grace we received the gift of salvation. Remember the severity of God. And now look ahead and see the kindness of God to you every day. That's what he's saying. You want to fight spiritual pride? Remember. Remember what the cross has done for us. The kindness of God. And we need to live in that way. Because when we do, we won't walk around in spiritual pride. Thinking we got it above this group of believers or that group of believers or whatever. And we need to live with the understanding of this, that even faith, even the faith to believe is a gift from God. Do you realize that? You can't stir that up. Take a look at God's word. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And I have heard people boast about their faith. Well, I, be- I believed, and you know, because I, uh, the gospel was laid out, and I believed, and I had the faith to believe, and that's why I'm saved. And so you're kind of bragging about your faith there, aren't you? Yeah. It's about, you know what, the fact that I can believe in, in the gospel is a gift from the living God. Do you realize how that brings humility instead of arrogance? It's not about me. It's about what God has done. And he has granted me this gift of faith to believe because for a long time I didn't. And the same gospel that was laid out to me for years, I didn't believe. And suddenly God opened my eyes. He gave me the gift of faith and I could believe. And you see, that just tears apart at the pride, the spiritual pride that can be there. It causes us to realize, you look at 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? Wow. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That just comes right down to where we live, doesn't it? It's like, stop bragging, man. Stop thinking you got it all together. The other believers are wrong, and you have it 100% right. He's saying, what do you have that you weren't given? Your faith, God's grace, and the gifts, the blessings that God has given you. Every blessing is a gift of grace. Every blessing, everyone. And they should turn us towards God in humility. Turn us to God in dependence. Turn us to God that we might praise him. And I've said this before. Your very next breath is a gift from God. Amen? Your very next breath is a gift from God. And all the things in your life are gifts from God. And I, my challenge for us is this, because it's a challenge that God laid on my heart. Uh, in my, I have a, a, a group of guys that we get together once every other week, and we, we're presently going through Luke. And one of the things that God laid on my heart through one of the chapters is you always have an action point. And I felt like one of the action points that God had laid on my heart was this, that every day I want to look and acknowledge God's grace in my life five times. Okay? Brothers, I, I'm not so sure I can do that. I mean, it's more than that that is there, but I'm not seeing it all. You know, I'm not looking for it all the time. So my challenge to this body is not five times, but three times. Three times a day, you look for a place where, God, where you can see God's grace in your life. It'll keep you humble. Say, look at this. Sometimes it's something as simple as this. I gave this example a couple of weeks ago, and I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was calling me to bring it up again. I had this this bolt that I had to loosen up in this car. I'm, I drained the transmission fluid, and now I had to refill it, and this was the fill cap, and it was locked in. I couldn't understand why the videos were always saying, loosen the fill cap first. I found out the hard way. So I'm working, trying to get this little nut off, right? Working at it, working at it, can't get it, can't get it. Working at it for like an hour and a half. I tried everything I could, and I felt like the Lord said, why don't you just ask me, Dan? Okay, God. I said, Lord, please help me. And I 
cranked on it one last time, and all of a sudden I heard a crack, and it came loose. Grace of God right there. But the grace of God was before then a lot because when I was cranking on it and it wasn't opening up, I wasn't throwing the wrench at the wall. Okay. I'd be, I, I'm going to be honest here. I worked up to that. <laughs> I didn't actually throw the wrench. But the times when I would be able to crank on that and it wasn't going my way and I wasn't getting angry. You see, that was the grace of God. His grace was there, enabling me. I said, let it go, Dan. You see, look for God's grace. And you'll see his hand in your life moment by moment. And as you do, you'll see it ain't all about me. It's about this great God that I have. And so I can walk in humility, not in arrogance and pride. That's my challenge for us as a body. That we would walk in humility, not spiritual pride. I want to finish off this chapter because it's so wonderful, so glorious of what God is going to do through his word here. What was happening is is before Christ came, the Jews were boasting about themselves spiritually over the Gentiles. They were bragging. They were spiritually prideful. And then God in his grace and his kindness had poured out his blessings upon the Gentiles. The gospel would go to them. Paul was the minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. But the Gentiles began boasting over the Jews, bragging, pushing them aside. So what God did, God is, you read the word of God sometimes, and you, you know, you, if people wonder if God's got a sense of humor, of course he does. Look at some of the stuff that he does. He just, it's incredible what God does. So he sees this group, the Jews, being spiritually prideful over the Gentiles, and he sees the Gentiles being spiritually prideful over the Jews, so God decides to humble them both by doing this, by making their disobedience the means for the other's salvation. Take a look, Romans 11. This is, I got a lot here, but just keep following me through this. And even they, the Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. So now he's talking about the Jews. He broke off this favor that he had with them. They were broken off because they were trying to do it by works, not by faith, and the Gentiles were grafted in. And now he's coming back, he's saying, but the Jews would be grafted back in. What? If they do not continue in their unbelief to be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you, the Gentiles, were cut from what was by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into, cult, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those, the Jews, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And it goes on. Lest you, the Gentiles, be wise in your own sight, prideful, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. He's saying, you guys are shooting your mouth off. You guys are, are thinking you're all it, and the Jews are, are, God's done with them. Remember, that's the focus of chapter 11. Is God done with the Jews? He's saying, no, I'm not. 
I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And he goes in verse 28. As regards to the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake. The Jews to this day are enemies of the gospel. They are. They resist Christianity. They are enemies of the gospel to this day yet. And there's a purpose, God said. It was uh, for your sake, Gentiles' sake. God was doing something. You've got to go back a couple sermons if you can and listen to those. But as regards to election, here's that word again, God's chosen favor before time. As, for elect, as regards for election, they, the Jews, are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. The covenant that God made with Abraham. It's going back to that. He said, they are elect. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham that all of Abraham's descendants uh, would, would receive that blessing, that, that, that covenant, if they followed after God through faith. They didn't do that. But he's saying, listen, the Jews were elected. They were, they were this nation that God chose out of all of the nations. And he chose to pour his favor upon them for no reason other than his grace and his mercy. They chose not to follow uh, not to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they're broken off. The Gentiles were given this opportunity to receive the gospel. And now what he's saying is, is you know what? They were broken off for your sake, but something's happening here. Something's going to happen with Israel. That uh, there was a partial hardening, but there but, uh, has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Verse 26, in this way all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake. But as regards for election, they, the Jews, are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Okay? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God's grace is irresistible. For just as you, the Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too shall now be, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they, the Jews, also may now receive mercy. What's he talking about? He's saying there's a mystery. God's not done with the Jews yet. God's not done with Israel. That was the point of chapter 11. And he's saying, I'm going to tell you Gentiles something. I'm not done with the, the Israelites. I made a promise to them, a covenant promise. And I'm going to do something in this world to show that I'll honor my word. It helps us because we know that God's not going to renege on anything he tells us. So what does this mean? The mystery is this, that Israel's failure is partial and temporary. And that God will never abandon his chosen people. That's the focus of chapter 11. There's a hardening that God did for a purpose. The Gentiles coming in. And the branches were broken off. The Jews will be grafted back in when? Well, it says here, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? We 
we go all the way back that before time, God chose, he elected people. And, there was, and that was locked in. And there's going to come a time where the Gentiles, all the elect, will have received that gift of salvation. And at that time, God's going to do a miracle in Israel. He's going to do a miracle. The generation of the Jews that are present at Christ's return, God is going to do a miracle. And they're going to turn their hearts to Christ for salvation. They're going to acknowledge him as their Lord and Savior, as their Messiah. God's going to do a work. The hardening is going to be removed. They're going to see the gospel in all its glory, and God is going to do a work. The all in this section of Scripture does not mean, does not mean every individual. Not all the Jews will do that, but God's going to do such a great move that it's going to seem like it's going to open up their hearts to the gospel. You see how God is, 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 as you read through God's word and you start putting it together, you say, this is what it says. And it's consistent with Romans chapter 9 through 11, 1, etc. It's a picture of what God's saying. You know what? This is a mystery, you guys. You don't get it, but I'm telling you. Resist this temptation to walk in spiritual pride because God is going to do something. Did you know in the book of Romans... This is the only reference to Christ's second coming. That's it. There's no other place in Romans where it's talking about Christ's second coming, except right here. You see, God's handling of the Jews and the Gentiles throughout history, throughout history, was intended to expose all, all peoples to his mercy that is found in the gospel. Take a look how it finishes up this section of Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, 32. For God has consigned, enclosed, shut up, imprisoned, all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. That all there doesn't mean individuals. It's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Now you go back, a lot of people think that this verse right here is a summary of the first 11 chapters in Romans because of what it's talking about. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. And he moves on. Moves on. He had a purpose. There was a purpose in all this to bring the gospel forth so that as God worked in the nation of Israel and the Gentiles and he did these, this work of opening up the gospel to them, so now the gospel is available to Jews and Gentiles alike that God might show his mercy to all people who would receive the gift of salvation. It wouldn't be just the Jews. It would be those who would receive that gift of salvation. And that's why it says in Romans 9, 16 through 17, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's about God. It's about God from beginning to end. And then John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's basically what's saying also in Romans eleven thirty two. That all our sinners separated from God. But God provided the gospel for all groups of people, not just the Jews. And that he would extend his grace and his mercy to all because of what Christ did on the cross. It's not limited to a certain ethnic group. And that's why the word world here doesn't mean everyone. Just like it doesn't mean everyone, all doesn't mean everyone. It's talking about nations. And so the gospel is open to the world, to all Jews and to all Gentiles. 
That's the picture that we see here. All, all people groups, not limited to just the Jews. 32 sums up Romans to this point. That all people, Jews and Gentiles, are disobedient sinners that can be saved by God's grace alone so that his mercy would be available to all. So that people would worship God for his greatness and his mercy. We would stand back and we would say, God, that you would do this great work. All of history, God is moving. God isn't reacting. God has a plan in all of history. Now he's showing that in verse 32 and previous. This is history that he's saying. You're looking ahead at what is going to happen in the world. It's awesome when you think about it. Say, this is what God is doing. This is where God is moving the world, the history of the world, to the glory of his name, the exaltation of Jesus, that every knee would bow, every tongue confess. He's moving everything. And that means this. He's moving your life. He's got a purpose in your life. Every moment of every day, he's working something to exalt Christ in and through your life. It's not random. God's not reacting randomly to, oh, no, the Jews rejected Jesus. What am I going to do? Oh, I'll extend it to the Gentiles. What am I going to do then? I still made a promise to the Jews. What am I going to do? i got to figure this out. From before time, God knew. He had a plan. And that gives me great peace in a crazy world that's fallen apart. That's why, brothers and sisters, I just conclude by saying this one more time. A proper understanding of God's amazing grace will always produce humility, not arrogance or spiritual pride, because we realize it's all about God from beginning to end. And he, what, what he began, he will finish by his grace and his mercy. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, so much here, God, I just want to thank you for your grace, God, that we so easily take for granted. I thank you for your grace that gave us the faith to believe. God, I thank you for your grace that revealed your kindness, that paid the penalty for our sins so that your severity wouldn't be poured out upon us, your righteous wrath. I thank you, God, for your mercy moment by moment. God, it's so easy for me and for us to fall into spiritual pride. I pray that you would guard us against that. And I ask that you would constantly put before us that it is about you, God. And anything we have, any blessings we have are by your grace. We haven't earned them. We don't deserve them. But they just proclaim your goodness, your kindness, your greatness. So, Lord, help us walk in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.